So this morning our scripture is in Luke chapter 16, and we are dealing with the second topic that you have before you, which is hell, a creation of God's love. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 25, I won't read the whole story, it goes on beyond that, but we'll just read these six or seven verses uh, to begin our time this morning. Uh, these are the words of Jesus. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. you bow your hearts with me? Heavenly Fathers, we come to your word. We recognize that we are dealing with a topic that we cannot possibly fathom in our own limited understanding. But we thank you for your Holy Spirit who gives revelation. We pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our heart to understand your word, to understand the truth of what is before us and the seriousness, O oh God, of this matter as well as the gloriousness of the message of hope that you have made for us. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would say today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we try in our culture to do the best we can to ignore death because the fact is we don't like to face death. Uh, we don't like to face the fact that all of us are going to die. But the fact of the matter is, you can take your vitamins, you can even go vegan, you can drink distilled bottled water, it doesn't matter. You are still going to die. And yet, we don't like to deal with death. Uh, if we have somebody who is critically ill or the elderly, uh, we have hospitals for them, which is wonderful for care, we have homes for them, we have places where basically we hope they can pass away peacefully and painlessly, uh, but but better yet, some place that we don't necessarily have to observe death, we don't have to see it taking place. And then when a person does die, what do we do? We dress them up really nicely so they almost look they're still alive. We put them into this beautiful box, we close the lid, lower them to the ground, we grieve for a while, and then we just go back to our lives. We want to ignore death. And yet the fact is, you're still going to die. Some of you will not die for many years from now. Sometime in the future, you're going to pass away. Some of you, I don't doubt, are probably going to die within the course of this year. Uh, we don't know how we're going to die. Some of you will pass peacefully away in your sleep. Some of you may uh, have a, a, a disease, and you'll, you'll have a prolonged time of sickness and then pass away. Some of you here this morning may die tragic deaths. You won't see it coming. We don't know how we're going to die, but the fact is we know we're going to die. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus is dealing, uh, speaking to a religious leader this man who's very interested in some of the things that Jesus had to say, but he had a hard time wrapping his mind around some spiritual insights that Jesus was trying to help him understand. And Jesus says this to them. He says, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things, spiritual things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. In other words, what he's saying is that each of us as human beings, obviously, we are born into this natural world. That's where our life starts. We didn't live before. We're not reincarnated. We physically came into, into being uh, through, uh, through natural birth. We came to this world. We live our lives. And when we die, we will step into eternity. We will move into that spirit realm where we all end up for the first time. We will move into there. Jesus says, me, however, I come from there. I came from the realm that you're heading into. I came into this world. I lived among you. I gave my life to save you from your sin because I know where you're heading. I came to give you a solution to your destiny. And he says, then when I died, I went back to where I came from. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is that he has the unique authority to talk to us about our final destination. Jesus can talk to us with authority about heaven because he came from there. He can talk to us about hell because he has seen it. He knows that it is real. 
Now, the story that we read this morning is just one of many occasions where Jesus speaks on the topic of hell. And I believe one of the reasons he talked about hell so frequently is because he knows that most people would either believe that either such a place does not exist, or if it does exist, I'm not going there. I, I certainly would not. That's for Hitler. That's for those people. But it's not for me. And he says, I want you to understand, that was the attitude of this man before he died, this rich man. Now, please understand, Jesus did not say this rich man went to hell because he was rich. That's not the point. No more than you go to heaven because you're poor. You don't go to heaven because you had a hard life. That has nothing to do with it. Jesus wants us to understand, I believe, in this story, the point he's making is that this man who was wealthy was basically so caught up in what wealth afforded to him. He got caught up with pleasure. And that's our culture today, isn't it? As Scripture says, we are lovers of pleasure. We just, we seek pleasure. We want to live at that sensory level all the time. So he had all these pleasures to distract him. He had all these pastimes that he spent his life in that, so that he never had to give any thought to death. And so all these things that he enjoyed lulled him into this false sense of security that maybe heaven is real, but heaven can wait. And so he never worried about hell and the fact that he was headed there. But Jesus says that's exactly where he ended up. You know, for a lot of folks, when you talk about hell, they think that it's just some kind of antiquated, superstitious doctrine from the Middle Ages. You know, back in a time where people were gullible, it's something that the church used to keep people in line, to keep them afraid, to, to make sure they did the right thing and obeyed. But you see, you need to understand that hell was not invented by the church. It was not made up by the church. Hell was actually revealed to mankind by Jesus himself. Jesus loved us enough to tell us what is awaiting for us, whether we live for him or not. The Bible says in Isaiah, the Lord says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. This is God speaking. And my ways are different from your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and my thoughts above yours. You see, when you begin a thought with something like, I don't believe in a God who would, or I don't think God would, would what? Would what? That God would actually know something you don't know? That God would actually do something that maybe you would not do? That God would see something that you've never seen? He would understand something that you cannot possibly grasp? What do you mean when you look at something like hell and say, I don't believe God would? Do you ever consider the possibility that maybe God knows more than you do? That maybe when it comes to justice, when it comes to fairness, when it comes to love, that maybe God has a, a more developed understanding of these things than you do. When you hear things that you don't like to hear, does it cross your mind that maybe God knows some things that you don't know? Or are you willing to bet your future on the fact that you're right? When we make statements like God loves everyone, he wouldn't do that. We are actually taking the God of the universe and we're placing them under submission to our own limited understanding. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to bid our lives on that? Here's the truth when it comes to God's love. God loves everyone, but not everyone loves God. Let me say that again. God does love everyone, but not everyone loves God. God is love. His very essence is love. Love comes from God. All that is truly Pure love flows from the heart of God. God is the source of love. He's the sustainer of love. And what that means to me is he's also the only one who gets to define what love is. Who really understands what love is. Not us. So when someone asks, how can a loving God send someone to hell? My question is, how can a loving God allow sin to go unpunished? How can he allow evil to go unpunished if he really is a loving God? I mean, if you lift it up to me, would I choose to send somebody to a place called hell if I were God? Well, probably not. But you see, 
I'm not as holy as God. So I don't understand how horrific sin really is. On the other hand, would I sacrifice my only son to save my enemies if I were God? And the answer is probably not. You see, the fact of the matter is, I know this really goes against our ego that our culture strokes all the time, but what you believe doesn't matter. What I believe doesn't matter. That's not the issue. We are not God. Can I get an amen from that? Force yourself. I know it doesn't come natural. Go ahead, say it. I'm not God. Your spouse is shocked. It's the first time they've heard that. I'm not God. And you know what? If I'm not God, here's a newsflash. I don't get to decide. I don't get to make it up. Some people argue that if hell is so terrible, then God must be terrible. No, no. Hell does not mean that God is terrible. Hell means that sin is terrible. We've got to think straight on this. If you break the law and you're sentenced for the crime you have committed, does that make the judge a bad person? No. It makes the judge a fair person. It makes you the bad person because you broke the law, and there's punishment for that. You see, the gravity of our sin is not measured by some relative, you know, measure of, of, of how good or bad I am, or if I've hurt people or not. That's not the measure of the seriousness of my sin. The measure of my sin is up against the greatness of the God that I've sinned against. That's how you measure my sin. And that's why my sin, that's why my self-will to do my own thing, to live my own way, to live life on my terms, to come up with my own sense of morality or justice, that's why it is such an affront to God, why that sin is so great, because God is so great. I'm thumbing my nose, I'm, I'm flipping off the God of the universe and saying, I don't care how great you are, how vast you are, how wise you are, how good you are, how powerful you are, I just don't believe you would. Hell is not God's way of scaring people into heaven. Hell is the result of the gravity of our sin. And so if God is perfectly fear, fear rather, and the punishment for my sin is hell, then it means this. It means that my sin is so much more serious than I realize. It means in an attitude that says, I don't want to do that, God. I don't feel like doing that. I don't want to live that way. That's not just an optional thing. It's not without consequence. There are dire consequences to my disobedience. So, so you know, I, I don't feel as a pastor any need whatsoever to defend God for creating hell. I would have to defend God if there were no hell. That's where I have to say, okay, there's something wrong. Let's try to figure this out. If there were no place of punishment for the evil that pervades our culture today, if there was no accountability for that, I'd have to say, hey, God, what's up? You're really missing something here. But that's not the case. Hell exists for one reason and for one reason only. Nothing to do with God wanting it to exist. Hell exists because sin exists. That's why there's a hell. That's why there has to be a hell. I mean, if I got to make up my own religion, I got to be honest, hell would probably, probably be one of the first things to go. How about you? You know, if you want to create a religion, have a lot of followers, I'd probably ixnay on the hell hay. You know, probably wouldn't do that. But the reality is today, there's a whole lot of preachers and a whole lot of churches who are doing away with hell. You see? And when you do away with hell, it's usually because you do away with, with sin. That's when you're making up your own religion. When you downplay hell, you usually downplay the seriousness of sin. But hear me, friends. It doesn't matter the trends of our culture. It doesn't matter what is accepted anymore as the norm. In anything compared to the Word of God, it does not make hell go away. There is a real hell. And the Bible says you can either cry out to Jesus to save you from that, or you will experience it. It's one of the two. And whatever you do, don't believe the movies. Satan does not rule hell. 
in case you haven't read the Bible, Satan does not live in hell. He has never been to hell. He is going to hell one day, but he's not there now. The Bible says he is the prince of the power of the air. He rules in the spirit realm in this world, and his mandate, his passion, is to lead every single man, woman, and child away from God. The Bible says he has blinded the eyes of those who have yet to believe, lest they see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn from their sin and be saved. He does that through wealth. He does that through pleasure, through entertainment. He does that through hurt, through brokenness, through dysfunction. Whatever way he can, he's the master at it. He does it through this, that no matter what happens to you, if it's bad, he convinces you it's God's fault. It's God's fault. Point your finger at God. Shake your fist at God. When actually he is the one himself, the devil, who's behind all the hurt and all the pain. Satan doesn't rule hell. Jesus rules all. He rules heaven. He rules hell. He's not in hell, but he's Lord over it. He's Lord over all. And Jesus is the one who will judge you. You know, one of the, I don't know, most damaging statements, it sounds so wise, but it is so damaging, is just that, you ever heard somebody say this? You can't judge me. <laughs> I mean, you can live like the devil. Can't judge me. You know, who are you to judge me? No. We don't judge anybody. We can evaluate a life. We know whether or not you're walking with God by the fruit of your life. But the fact of the matter is, you won't be able to stand before the Lord one day and say, you can't judge me. Say, yes, I can. According to John chapter 5, Jesus is the one who will judge you, and he will judge me. Now, when we as Christians talk about hell, it's usually in terms of in relationship to people who are outside the church. When we think of hell or coming to church and hearing the preacher talk about hell, we, we kind of had a tendency to sit here and we think of people who don't know Jesus or who have rejected Jesus, that they are going to hell. That's what hell is for. And there is some truth to that. That's certainly going to happen. But what I find interesting is through the course of this last week, as I was studying my Bible, especially through the New Testament, going over passage after passage that refers to hell, and most times Jesus is the one speaking, what I found interesting is that the strongest words that Jesus had about hell were to people who thought they were safe because they were religious. That's who he spoke to most times. People who thought because they were part of a religious organization or because they had a knowledge of God, they had a knowledge of a religious lifestyle, kind of living better, not doing bad things, they thought somehow that that would keep them out of that place. Jesus had a very special warning for them, and it's very sobering. In fact, the mention of hell in the book of Jude and the book of 2 Peter, they're actually directed toward false teachers in the church. Now, when the Bible talks about false teachers in the church, I doubt very much that anybody stood behind pulpits thinking, I'm a false teacher. Now, how am I going to fool them today? No. They just drifted and drifted and drifted. They conformed and conformed and conformed to the culture and the spirit in which they are living, and they didn't preach the gospel of Christ. They didn't preach truth. They preached a kind of a secular religion or a mindset. And, and they, they had no idea that they were even lost, I'm sure. And yet the scripture tells us in these books that they were preaching a different gospel. If that's the case, then I have to watch what I'm doing. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul, I guess in Corinthians chapter 9, when he says, I, I pay very careful attention to how I discipline myself so that ha after having preached to others, that I myself might not be disqualified. Let that sink in. That's the preacher. That the preacher says, I can actually be here Sunday after Sunday preaching. God can be moving. People can come to Christ. Healings can take place. And yet I could be lost. That's a sobering thing. James, for example, mentions hell only one time in his letter. And it's in relation to professing Christians who misuse their tongue. He's talking to Christians who criticize, who gossip, who judge others. He says this in chapter 3. He says, the tongue is like a fire. It's a world of wrong, occupying its place in our bodies and spreading evil through our whole being. It sets on fire the entire course of our existence with the fire that comes from hell itself. And probably one of the most frightening verses in the whole Bible is Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, when the judgment day comes, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, 
get this. In your name we spoke God's message. By your name we drove out many demons and performed many miracles. And I will say to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you wicked people. Can you imagine how absolutely terrifying that will be for a person to spend a good part of their life in so-called dedication to this lifestyle, even being used by God, stand before him and the Lord say, I don't know you. And I really believe the flip side of that, Jesus is saying, the truth is, and you know in your heart, you don't know me. You don't know me. You move through, you're comfortable with church circles, you, you knew what to say, and you may not even been intentionally hypocritical, but you knew day after day, when I was calling you to come to my presence and you wouldn't come, I was calling you to open my word and you wouldn't open it, I would prompt you and speak to you about how you should act, what you should do. No, don't say that. Hey, help this person. Time and again, you ignored me, ignored me, ignored me, you did your thing. On the outside, you were fine. You might even been sincere, but nothing in your life shows that your life was in response to my lordship. You don't know me, and I don't know you. Jesus and the apostles constantly warn religious people, and, and that's frightening. So though it's true that people who don't know Jesus, who rejected him, will be in hell, the warning is just as much for those of us who think that our religion is going to keep us from that place. Jesus warns us too. Jesus said that many will say that they follow him, but few of them will actually live it out because they really don't believe it in their heart. Jesus was little more than just a fire insurance policy. We believe in him. We believe there's a heaven. We believe there's a hell. We don't want to go to hell. We believe that Jesus died for us, but I'm not really living for him. Everything else comes first. He gets leftovers. He's not really the center of my life. His kingdom is not really a priority in my life. We don't live it out, and our life shows it. James says in chapter 2, you believe in God, good. The demons believe too. And they tremble with fear. I want you to let this really sink in. What James is saying is this. If you say, Pastor Paul, I believe in God. According to James, I'd have to say to you, wonderful. So right now, you're on par with the demons. How does that make you feel? You see, the demons, James says, they believe in God. Get this. The demons actually witnessed everything we read in the Bible. They were there. They, they didn't just read it. They saw this stuff happening. They saw God and all its activity. Well, what is the difference? The difference is demons do not submit to the lordship of Jesus. Satan doesn't submit to the lordship of Jesus. And neither do some of us here this morning. Because you can say, I believe in God. You can say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I ask him to forgive me. But the question is, do you really believe to the point that you tremble? What I mean by that is, when there's temptation, if there's sin in your life, if there's stuff you're messing around with, if there's things you know that God is talking to you about and your attitude is flippant, your attitude is, is you know, it's just, it doesn't really matter, I'll get around to that. If there's no trembling, if there's no sense when the word of God comes to you, or even here this morning, and you hear the gospel preached, and there's nothing within your spirit that says, yes, Lord, I want that. Yes, Lord, I see that. Yes, Lord, I confess that. I bring this into your lordship. If that tremble is not there, and at least the demons react, he says. How can we be a child of God if we're all around God things, the presence of God, the probing of the Holy Spirit, the light of God's word? How can we be all around that and never change? Never move, never make a step forward, never acknowledge anything in the Holy Spirit. He says, if that's you, if you don't react, you're probably not mine. You probably don't know me, and I don't know you. I think any of us, I don't think any of us really believe that you can just pray a little prayer to accept Jesus in your heart, have nothing change, and expect to be going to heaven. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I tell you to do. And we shared this last week, but if the Holy Spirit has, is truly living in you, then according to my Bible, according to the book of Romans, if the Holy Spirit lives within you, 
Not only does he give you power to overcome and to put to death the old sinful cravings, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He actually puts new cravings in you. He puts new longings in you, new desires in you that actually show that you belong to God. That proof is there. Friends, I don't want anybody here at Glad Tidings to feel relatively secure because you prayed a sinner's prayer one time or because you, you were baptized or because you go to this church. Those are all important realities if they're genuine, if they're sincere. But that's not the, that's not the litmus test. The litmus test, I believe, for every single one of us here this morning is not just the church we attend. It's rather if there's something in our heart, a passion in our heart, a longing in our heart that says, Jesus, I'm amazed by my salvation. I'm amazed by what you've done for me. And I gladly surrender my life to you. You are Lord of my life. Now, as I mentioned, the title of the sermon this morning is Hell, a Creation of God's Love. You're probably wondering, I don't know, how do you connect those two things? Well, let me give you two examples. The first one, I believe, is that a God of love is a God of justice. How would you feel if the police did their job, they caught criminals, they caught that person who maybe broke into your house, that person that assaulted you, whatever it may be, they brought them to the court, and the judge, every time, just said, hey, don't worry about it. Go back home. Go back to the neighborhood. Doesn't matter. How loved would you feel? You see, our criminal justice system, we believe, is there. Why? To protect us, right? To make a separation, not arbitrarily, not on a whim, but to make a separation between those who choose to follow the law and live in peace and those who choose to disrupt the law and the lives of those who are living in peace. That's what it's there for. We would not feel very loved or would we feel protected if they just got off with a slap on the wrist. So how much more reasonable is it to expect that a perfectly just God will protect those who live righteously? That there is a place after this life. Doesn't it make more sense that if God is loving, God is just, then after this life, for those who follow him, who live for him, that finally they will be away from this sin problem. They'll be away from this tyranny of evil. That there's a separation somehow that God has made that the two no longer coexist. Again, hell doesn't mean there's something wrong with God. Hell means that there's something wrong with us. Something so terribly wrong that the only solution is hell. A God of love is a God of justice. And second, God knows that a sinner will prefer hell to heaven. That may sound like a strange thing to say, but even with all of its misery, hell will be less tormenting for the sinful soul than having to live in the presence of God forever, surrounded by people who are just in love with God and worshiping God. When the prophet Isaiah came before the Lord in chapter 6, he cried out, he said, oh no, I will be destroyed. I am not pure, and I live among people who are not pure, but I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, understand, this is a godly man who is saying these words. And one of the reasons why he had that heart cry was because in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, a person who trusted God for their salvation, they observed the sacrificial system of animal sacrifices, where a life was given for a life, and the blood that was shed by that animal was meant to cover the sin. It couldn't wash away, it couldn't cleanse, but it would spiritually cover the sin of that person who wanted to walk with God until Messiah came until Jesus came, who would actually be God in the flesh, who would give his life as the Lamb of God, and his blood would not cover our sin, his blood would wash away our sin. A miracle that only God himself can do. So the, the prophets of old, they trusted in God for their salvation, they absorbed, observed the system, but when they came in the presence of God, there was such an awareness of just my sinful nature that is still there, because it's covered, but it's not put to death. That's something that only happened now since the death of Jesus Christ. So here's the prophet Isaiah saying, I'm in the presence of God. I'm a man of God, but whoa, I'm dead. I can't stand in his presence. There's a book called Renewal Theology. Rodman Williams, he writes this. The punishment of hell, whatever its measure, will be far less than the punishment of being in the courts of heaven. The fire of Gehenna, far more tolerable than the brilliance of God's face. 
the odor darkness of the netherworld infinitely more bearable than the splendor of heaven's glory. See, the Bible is very clear that heaven is a place only for those who have been made perfect. It doesn't mean in this life that we are perfect. If we sin, we confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, and we keep walking with the Lord. We don't mess with sin. We don't, you know, play around with God. We take sin seriously, but we walk with God. If there's sin, we confess it. But heaven is a place for those who've been made perfect through faith in Jesus Christ, and their sin is washed away. What's more, those who have been made perfect, you know what? We are actually looking forward to the return of Jesus. Now, let me just stop there for a second. If you're not looking forward to the return of Jesus, I've got to ask you, do you love Jesus? Because generally speaking, when you love somebody, you look forward to seeing them, don't you? I mean, think about this very logically. When you truly love someone, you can't wait to see them. And the Bible says that, that, you know, we have no idea yet what is waiting for us, but we do know this, that one day when we see him, we will be changed, and we will be like him, because we'll finally see him as he truly is. No holes barred. And so for those who've been cleansed of their sin, those who are sons and daughters of God, we actually long for the Lord to come again. We long for this whole sin issue to be dealt with once and forever and to be in the presence of the Lord. And by the way, uh, for those of us who believe in heaven, heaven is not clouds and harps. You need to understand that. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is an eternal state of purpose. I mean, you think today that you wake up, you get a purpose, you get a job, you get income, you got whatever, a sense of meaning, significance. Heaven is at a million times over. The Lord says, we will rule with him for eternity. He has places for us to work. He has gifts that he has given to us. It's going to be a, a, an existence full of purpose and fulfillment and meaning. For eternity, what God has in store, the scripture says, we can't even begin to fathom. And so that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward for the glory of God to be revealed. For the person who is still in their sin, who still has their sinful nature intact, they're not looking forward to seeing God. Because they are so aware of their sin, they are so aware of their imperfections, there's no way they can possibly enjoy the presence of God. Friends, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that if a sinful soul was to step into the presence of God in eternity, they would literally beg that God would cast them out of his presence. It would drive them crazy to be in his presence. They would want hell in order to find some kind of relief from the glory of God. The Bible says that God made us with an immortal soul. And the reason why God made you and me with an immortal soul is because he loves us. And he wants to enjoy us forever. He wants to be with us forever. But here's the key. He doesn't take that gift back. What that means is that that gift of your immortality, it will either be a tremendous blessing for you or it will be a terrible curse if you reject him. Because you see, according to the Bible, a sinful soul cannot enter into heaven in that condition. What's more, there's no such thing as purgatory. I just got to tell you the truth. Uh, purgatory is a man-made doctrine. You won't find it in the Word of God. It's not in Scripture. There's a reason why it's there. It won't take time to elaborate this morning. But basically the idea is purgatory exists because salvation is not through a personal relationship with Jesus. Salvation is about being part of a certain church. It's about being part of a certain religion. Well, if I'm part of that religion and I preach for hundreds of years that if you're part of this church, you're going to heaven, well, what happens when everybody sees that you live like hell? How do I remedy that? Well, I come up with a new doctrine that says, well, for the bad person who dies, they go to purgatory and all their sins get burned away. And then finally they get to go to heaven. They get purged in purgatory. I'm not saying this to mock. I'm just telling them this is the way it works. That they get purged of their sin and then eventually go to heaven. You see, the reality is you get one shot at it in this life. And if you don't want to be purged of your sin in this life, you're not getting purged in the next life. This is where you choose, and it's only the blood of Jesus Christ. It's no flames of purgatory. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. If you say no to Jesus in this life, you say no to forgiveness. There's not a second chance. And so there is no purgatory for the sinful soul. What's more, for the sinful soul, it can't stay in this world because its body has died, so it's got nowhere to live. So the point is this. What happens to the sinful soul? Where can it go? 
It can't go into heaven. There's no such thing as purgatory. You can't stay on earth. Where does it go? Good answer. <laughs> you get my next book when it comes out. Or hopefully heaven for every one of us. Where does that soul go? God in his mercy has created a place. That place is called hell. Why would God create a place where there's only suffering and torment? The answer is very simple, friends. It's because Satan and demons and those who reject Christ and those who go to church once in a while but don't serve Christ and mess around with sin, they have all said the same thing. They have one thing in common. They have said, God, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you in my life. And you see, you can't say, God, you can have this much and this much. You can't say, God, I don't want you right now, but don't go too far away in case I want to be able to call. No, no, no. He's either Lord or he's not. Now, you can fool yourself. You can believe the lie. You can convince yourself. It doesn't matter. If you die at this moment, your last breath, and you don't have absolutely insurance that you are a child of God and you love Jesus Christ, I wouldn't want to count on that. I wouldn't want to count on that. Jesus said there was a man in hell, and the reason it was in hell, because he took everything else in this life first, sought it first, enjoyed it first, and thought, I can take care of hell later. And Jesus said in another story, he said, you fool, tonight you're going to be in eternity. You don't know when your eternity is going to begin. Actually, it begins the moment you're born. But as far as your destination after this life, you don't know. So every single person, every being who has said, God, I don't want you in my life, what has God done? God has granted the desire of their heart. And he's given them a place where he will not be. You see, God did not create hell on a whim. God did not sit down one day because in a really bad mood and say, man, these people are really bugging me. What can I possibly do to torment them, get back at them for all the evil they have done? He didn't do that. No, he says hell, the, the manifestation of hell is simply everything that I'm not. So hell is not dark because God says, I'm going to punish you with darkness. God says, I am life. I'm the source of life. I'm not in hell. If you don't want me, there's no light in hell. You won't have light. God is love. Why is there such torment? Why is there such isolation, loneliness, that, that gnashing of teeth in hell? Why? Because in this life, said God, I don't want you in my life. God says, it breaks my heart. You don't have to have me, but you've got to understand, I am life. I am joy. I am peace. I am community. If you've ever heard or bought into the lie that, hey, I don't mind going to hell because all my friends are going to be there and we're going to party and we're going to have the guitars blaring and we're going to have the beer drinking and we're going to have the girls and the sex, it's a lie from the pit. You will be completely alone. There is no fellowship. That is the quality of God. There's no relationship. You will hear moaning. You will be in utter darkness. You will be completely by yourself. Because it is all exactly what God is not. And you have said in this life, I don't want you, God. And God says, then thy will be done. You will not have me. That's why the Bible says for every sinner there's hell to pay. But it doesn't mean you have to go to hell. In fact, not only does God warn us about hell, he actually welcomes us to receive the gift of heaven by repenting of our sin and allowing Jesus Christ to wash us of our sin and to wash us of our stupidity and to wash us of our blindness. To say, oh God, I don't understand it all, but I will open the door of my heart at least a crack. Show me how deceived I am. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor, I've heard it all before. I've been in church. Whatever your excuse may be, and you may think in your own reasoning that somehow you're wise. Somehow you know something somebody doesn't know. Somehow you know more than God. Whatever, whatever the devil is using to deceive you, I promise you, you are not wise. You may be in your own eyes, but you are deceived. You've been captivated by a lie. The God of this world is whispering in your heart, and he's saying, don't worry, you've got more time. Don't worry, you've got Jesus in your back pocket. Don't worry, there's still things you want to do. Don't worry, wait to get your life straightened up and then you can surrender to Jesus. And all he knows, today could be your last day. And you'll be in the last place you ever expected to be, but you will be there and you'll be there forever. 
In fact, at this moment, millions of people are just one heartbeat away from hell. And I say it with a broken heart, but you may be one of them. In fact, do you realize that if God did not allow your heart to beat right now at this moment, that you'd be in eternity right now, right now at this moment. But he is so much more eager to save you than he is to punish you. Listen to what the Lord says in the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. This is the heart of God. He says, do you think I enjoy seeing evil people die? No. I would rather that they repent and they live. Hear me, friends. If Jesus wanted you to go to hell, he would not have died for you. Does that make sense? He wouldn't die for you if he wanted you to be saved. Why would he go through the cross? Why would he not just wipe his hands of us and say, I'm done. I just want my revenge right now. It's because he says no one's ever been there. No one's ever seen it. I've seen it. I've been there. I don't want anyone to go there. I would die for you rather than have you go there on your own. And that's exactly what he did. So that not one of us, not one of us have to be separated from God. Not only in the life to come, but in this life. That's why the Bible says, final verse, God decided to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to pour out his anger on us. He died so that we can live with him forever. In other words, the Bible is saying that God's love for me is so incredibly overwhelming that Jesus took my hell for me when he went to the cross so I could be forgiven. And then he kept working in my life over the years until finally one day his love broke through and he conquered my heart. That's what he did for me. And he does the same thing for every one of us here this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, it's not just a preacher talking to you. Jesus is here, and he's knocking on your heart. He's saying what that guy's saying is true. It's real. He's just telling you what I've told him. It's true. You know it's true. Stop playing around. Today, when you hear salvation, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away. Don't think you've got more time. And friends, I don't say this lightly, but I believe with all my heart the punishment in hell is probably a thousand times more severe to anybody who knows the difference and still turns away. For anybody who's professed Christ, for anybody who, who just, you know, plays church, plays religion, I can't imagine the punishment for that. For those of us who know better, we've heard the gospel, we may have prayed a sinner's prayer, we've been around church stuff, and we still say at the end of the day, Jesus, I'm going to do it my way. Lord, because I enjoy this lifestyle more. I love this person more. I love this, whatever it may be. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the sentence, the judgment for that. And so this morning, friends, I believe that hell is serious because I believe sin is serious. And if you're here this morning, this is not to, well, it's not a bad thing to frighten you. Maybe it is. It's not about jerking our feelings around and emotions. It's just whether or not you believe truth, whether or not you allow the Holy Spirit to kind of snap you out of, a, out of a sleep, out of an apathy, and just, yeah, another day, another day, another day. That's the whole point of the story you read in Luke. Jesus wants you to understand, you don't have another day. You don't know if you do. So I'm going to tell you one thing is true. You're going to die. You are going to die. You're going to die. Some have more time than others, but you're, you're going to die. And you know what? If you watch the news, if you walk through hospital corridors, age is no respecter, of, uh, death is no respecter of age. It doesn't matter how old you are, just walk through the IWK, you know, walk through a youth section of a hospital. See, it's, it's not just 95-year-olds on life support in a hospital. For anybody in the profession, it's all ages. I used to work in a funeral home. It's all ages, all ages. All we know is we're going to die. All we know is there's an eternity. All we know that, thank God, he has made a way for us to look at death and with absolute certainty say, Lord, I look forward to seeing you. When the day comes, I know I'm in your hands. I know you. And, Lord, there's lots to do down here, and as long as you want to use me, I'm here in any way you can. Oh, but, Lord, I just I long to see you. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Looking forward to seeing you. If you don't have that assurance in your heart, I want to ask you this morning to make the most important decision 
doesn't matter if it's your first time at church. doesn't matter if you've been coming to Glad Tidings for 25 years. doesn't matter. You know whether or not you have absolute certainty in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that you love him, your sins are forgiven, and you're on the way to heaven. You also know if you don't know him. Would you bow your head with me this morning? We're not going to prolong this service. We're going to give you an opportunity just to do business with Jesus Christ. Every head is bowed. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. And I thank you that you love us even more, that you've made a way out of this incredibly painful, yet deserved destiny because of our sin. You've made a way for our sin to be forgiven. That's why, Lord, we say that we are saved. This is not an old-fashioned word. We have been saved, O God. We were hopelessly on course, separated from you forever with nothing but hell before us. You snatched us out of there. You saved us, O God, from our sin and from ourselves by becoming the punishment for our sin, being our substitute so that we can be forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just bind every principality, every power, every lying demon speaking to saint or sinner alike. I pray for a moment of absolute transparency and honesty that not a heart here this morning would leave without knowing, without knowing that they are a child of God, that their sins are forgiven. And I pray for your people who trust in religiousness. I pray for your people, O oh God, who are materialistic, who are pleasure-seeking, who are, who are addicted to, Lord, any kind of sexual pleasure and pornography, who are messing around in their spouses, whatever it may be. I pray, O oh God, wherever the devil is having a heyday in lives right now, for those who look so saintly, I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. I pray that even now, O oh God, that hearts would start to tremble. Tremble. Tremble in fear and the fear of sin and what it will do to us, and call out to you and say, Jesus, save me. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to believe this lie anymore. I know this is true. I want you. Save me from my sin. Save me from my sin, Lord. I give my life to you. I've messed it up. It's yours, Lord. I give it to you. If that's your heart's desire this morning, friends, don't you worry about anybody sitting around you. Don't worry about your watch. Time doesn't matter. This is about eternity. If you're here this morning, I'm not going to prolong it. You either mean or you don't. I'm not going to talk you into it, but just raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I do not have that security in my heart that I am a child of God. Is there anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ? Yes. Anybody else? You don't have that certainty? Yes. God bless. Anybody else here this morning? Yes. God bless you. God bless you. I'm not here to scare anybody, friends. It terrifies me. It terrifies me to think to be in eternity in the hands of an angry God who did everything he could to save me, and I just blew him off and said, I don't want you. And he says, very well, your will be done. You won't have me. Is there anyone else here this morning? You don't have to leave here with fear in your heart. In fact, the Bible says that the perfect love of God drives out all fear. And if you will come and receive Jesus and say, Lord, I receive your love for me, he will shed his love in your heart. That's what the Bible says. He will drive out fear. You know what he's doing when he's driving out fear? He's saying, devil, get your fingers off them. Get your claws out of their minds. They are mine now. They're not going to believe your lies anymore. Be gone. They're my child. They're my son. They're my daughter. You can be five years old. You can be 100 years old. It doesn't matter. If you understand your need for a Savior, Jesus will respond to you. He'll forgive you of your sin. Holy Spirit, I just pray, continue to move through this place. We as your Christians, as your people, your followers, Lord, we open our heart and we, we say, Lord, we don't want to mess around anymore. We don't want to be, keep living for ourselves. It's not about us. We're, we're saved. We know you. We're going to heaven. Lord, give us a burden for the lost. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to just put your thumb on our heart. Let us feel some of the weight that you feel for the lost, oh God, I pray let our lives not be Monday to Sunday, back to work, over and over, and, and trips and toys and all the foolishness, oh Lord, that the devil uses to distract us. I pray when we wake up in the morning, let us be a people who say, God, what are you doing for your kingdom today? What are you about doing, Lord? Let me be part of that. Is there someone who doesn't know you? Is there a soul that I can lead to you today? Is there someone I can pray for, Lord? In the middle of the night, wake me up anytime. I'll go to my knees, lay somebody on my heart. I will fast. I will pray. I will do whatever I can to reach for you. Lord, I pray, make hell real to me. I know I'm not going, but help me to care that millions are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your truth. Thank you for your word.
Lord, bring us into a whole new dimension of what it means to be your people, to be free. Let us begin to see in our city the kingdom of darkness be pushed back and reversed, that curse reversed, O oh God. Let righteousness rise up within our cities and our homes and our workplaces. Let us be unashamed. Forgive us, O oh God, for worrying about offending somebody, saying the wrong thing, not being politically correct. Let us stand if we need to, take our lashes, because, Lord, we would rather take a beating than not tell somebody they're going to a crisis eternity. Can we stand together? Pastor Christian and worship team is just leading us. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. Just come right away if you would. And I want to ask you here this morning, if you raised your hand to receive Jesus into your life, I want to invite you to come. We want to pray with you, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to move within you. He's going to wash away your sin. He's going to give you a witness that you are a child of God. And if you're here this morning as a believer, please don't feel ashamed. I have the greatest respect for believers who are real. And it doesn't mean that you're not even sure of your salvation. You may just want to come and say, will you pray with me? I just recognize there's some darkness at work in my life. I recognize there's not a real peace in my heart. I want you to agree with me and just cast this out once and for all. I want that absolute certainty and joy. Maybe you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the seal of heaven in your heart that you know that a shadow of a doubt, that you're a child of God. The Lord wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Whatever your need may be, we're going to close off our service with this song. And as people are moving, if you need to slip out, God bless you, dismissed. If you just want to stay in the pew and do some business with God, do that as well. But if you want to receive prayer, want someone to agree with you, why don't you come? And if you raise your hand this morning, why don't you come this morning and say, hey, I want that absolute assurance. Would you pray with me? Can we do that? Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would not be forgotten as we leave this place. I pray we get deep down in our heart that, Lord, through this day, that you continue to chew on it and chew on it. And, Lord, that before we lay our head down to rest tonight, we will know that we have done business with you that we've made things right, oh God, and we begin to not just stop sinning, we actually begin to live righteously as the people of God. Hallelujah. And your kingdom advances to those who know their God. In Jesus' name, we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you today.